I'm Beth Ann Garman Merkel. I'm Virginia Schutte, and this is Meteor, the honest podcast about science communication with impact. So, a couple years ago, we launched this podcast, and it was so that we would have an advanced user space to muse and grumble <laughs> and chat with all of you. And we're just going to own it. A lot has changed in the last couple years. So this season, we're doing it. We're taking a look at the systems of SciComm, what we love, what we work to change, and how trying to change things through SciComm shapes our work and fuels our rants. Quick note that there are some little flickers in my end of the audio on this particular episode. Please bear with us. It's windy in Wyoming and the internet gets wacky when it's windy. Applications are now open for SciComm STEP, which is a thing that we are really excited to offer you again. STEP stands for Sparking Transitions for Experienced Professionals. It's a professional development program we made for beyond beginner science communicators. More information is on our website. Apply today and tell your friends. And if you want to know more about STEP or any of our other programs, you can follow us on social media or get on our email list. And don't worry, we know it's December. Nobody wants any more emails. We will only send podcast and programming update. Today, we are ending the season, speaking of December, with a Q&A episode, as we always do. I can say always because we have three seasons now. This this is the third, but it feels like a big deal <laughs> to me. We want to make sure we keep this one shorter. Our last Q&A uh, ending season enders were very long. So, Beth Ann, do you want to go ahead and read the first question aloud? Yes, and I want to thank everybody for the questions that they've trusted us with. Here we go. So, Virginia, if academia has so many problems, shouldn't we just leave it and let it crumble? <laughs> Could you just ask, if the world has so many problems, <laughs> let's go to Mars. I, I feel, okay, sorry, I'm feeling a little, like, giggly but cynical. <laughs> it's like, academia is not the only system with a bunch of problems. Okay, I have to answer this question. Uh, No. <laughs> Here, that's a short answer. No. <laughs> um, okay. People depend on academia for things. Uh, you know, you and me, we depend on academia for degrees. People, other people depend Stop. on academia for degrees. Yeah. So it's it's a key it's a key point for a lot of people in their career journeys, whether they're in STEM or not. And so I feel this way about social media. I think as a social media specialist, you know, social media is arguably the worst. It's addictive and it's bad for our mental health. And it's just, it's not like fun to be on social media as a job like people think it is it's not like glamorous or whatever but that's where people are and i feel the same way about academia if if academia is going to exist and people are going to be there then you know if you need to leave academia if you want to great do that protect yourself first so you can stay in the fight for the long haul but if people are going to be there i don't feel like i want to say let it crumble so i guess it's a balance of no i personally don't want to you know, let it crumble. I'm in this fight for the long haul. But also, we know from activism work that you have to do what takes care of you so that you can make a difference the way that you want to. So I, I, yeah. So how do you feel, Bethann? Yeah, if I could do a small yes, and I would also say that the institution of knowledge and sharing that knowledge that is at the core of the academic construct is still deeply compelling to me. I am a first-generation college student. I grew up in a very small town. We didn't have any advanced placement, anything. I could give you a long litany of the ways in which access to education 
and knowledge through educational environments has massively changed and improved my life. And I want that for everyone. So I don't want to give up on it. I like that. All right. Question number two. I hate, well, comment and then a question. I hate it when people say they value my SciComm work, but I don't know how to explain why that doesn't feel good to me. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> okay. So we have many times talked about how science communication falls into the category, at least in an academic construct of service or volunteer work. And we know that a lot of that stuff doesn't really count in a lot of professional environments. So I think for me, when somebody says that, what they're saying is like, I'll give you more credit for what you do, but what does that actually mean? You're going to say, I did it. I already know that I did it. What I want is not just that you say you value my work or even that you mean it, that you value my work. I just want you to make it better for me to do my job. <laughs> so, so your sass comes from a place of, don't tell me you value my work. Show me that you want me to keep yeah. doing this valued work. Okay. Not just that you want me to keep doing it, but like actually make it possible to keep doing it. Hmm. Okay. I think, so this question listeners was sent in to us with quotes around the word value. I hate it when people say they value my psychom work. And so for me, when I see that value in quotes, I think about everyone who's ever talked to my husband about our children and been like, oh, are you babysitting the kids while mom's at a conference? And he's like, no, I'm their father. I'm parenting them. <laughs> and so I think about there's room in that kind of a statement for me to say, Bethann, I value the work you do. And for you to be like, well, did you not assume that, that this is like, like, is the value, is the expression of value a statement of, oh, I'm surprised or, oh, I can't believe I like this so much or I can't believe oh. it's so valuable, you know? Oh. And and so this is um like, this is the the sassiest reception of that word. I value your work and you're like, mur, 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 mur. But, but, but if for someone who maybe doesn't feel good about it, again, I'm reaching into my parenting background to be like, oh, I, I, I am there with you. <laughs> if it doesn't make you feel good, maybe that's why. Yes. So, Virginia, next one. I get why professional development matters. I actually lead a lot of trainings myself, but I'd really like to hear your take on why professional development seems to be the answer to fixing everything. <laughs> this reminds me a lot of the AI world where people are like, get some more training and then you'll like everything will be fixed. Um, mm -hmm. I think professional development is a way to give professional development is an alternative to making policies and enforcing them. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> and so I don't know exactly if that's what this person is talking about. I can't remember who sent this in, but um, I think it seems easier. Like it's very fun and nice to offer professional development. And in a way, it feels to me like if you're maybe at the top most powerful position in an organization, it might be easier to do that than to audit your own policies and the work environment they create and the professional development opportunities they offer for people. Um, so I can see how maybe that's an answer. That's the SAS answer. Do you have a SAS answer? <laughs> snap, snap. I am so with you on this. And my SAS is that, well, okay, let's slight pause here and acknowledge that Virginia and I actually do think that we can change the world by 
helping people get better at things. Like professional development is at the guts of what we both do. So let's just acknowledge that it's not that we hate professional development. It's that professional development, like mental health and wellness or self-care kind of winds up being commodified and beiged out to meaningless. In my experience, what happens is that professional development gets offered as a way to fix things when actually almost always it's making extra work for people. Mm. I have to go to this training. I have to do the prep for it. I have to do the follow-up. It's usually teaching me how to do something more or different, which means work also, when really, how about more resources? As you said, Virginia, how about policies that make it so that if I even do the professional development, there's a system that I can affect real change inside. If you just make extra work for me, and I already know that that work on its own can't change things, it's worse for you to offer it than it is to just say, we're not doing anything. So then you and I are both coming at this from a perspective of if this is a blanket response, who is being asked to do what work and who is not being asked to do other things? Um, I'm just going to put a quick plug in. The reason that we believe in our professional development is because our professional development helps you figure out how to go around blockers who are assigning you professional development that is busy work or in place of policies. So Bethann and I, our professional development programs are basically like, well, how can you move through systems effectively when that's the system? So I think that's why I believe in our professional development. I don't always believe in all professional development. Yes. Okay. Okay. Next question. I'm a few years into science communication as a career. Do you know of places I can go to level up? I want to say yes. And also, oh no. (laughs) Oh no. Why? Oh no. (laughs) Because science communication isn't just one thing. It doesn't happen in just one kind of place. There is no track for a career in science communication, except maybe if you're going to be a journalist and the journalism landscape has completely splintered. So without knowing what kind of career you're working in at the moment or work environment you're in at the moment and where you want to go and the kinds of things you want to be doing, we could throw all kinds of things at you and they wouldn't necessarily help. That said, there are a couple of places where you can find community around science communication that I do think can help. And I want to put in a little plug This fall, my project with the newsletter that I distribute through the University of Wyoming Science Communication Initiative focused on community. People are looking for ways to connect with other people who do science communication. So if you go to our website, which is uwyo.edu and search for YSci, you'll find our archive from this fall. And I put all kinds of community connections into there. So I'm going to just briefly say, I think... If you're at a point where you're looking to level up and you feel like you know what you're doing, growing in community has probably been the most powerful professional growth for me. I'd go look for people who are trying to grow, not even necessarily in the same media or skill set or scientific field as you, but just people who are working on getting better at what they do or changing how they do in some big way. And those resources that we shared all fall will hopefully help. Uh, I, when I saw this question, I thought the answer is no, because Bethann, your answer was not, here's where you can go to level up. It's here's where you can go to grow in community. And sure, that's a way of leveling up. 
but it's not like a course or a training or a quick fix like you can get when you're first starting and you say, you know, I want to know how to use Instagram. There are so many tutorials for Instagram out there. There's not one for, and and this is why we started the podcast is because there's not a single place that has a lot of career development resources once you get beyond the beginner levels of science communication, no matter what flavor you're doing. All right. So big shift. I want to be supportive of colleagues in SciComm because, in part, it's such a small community. So what to do with jealousy? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I feel very seen. <laughs> um, I, I think one of, the, one of the coolest things about feeling like I'm an advanced science communicator, whatever that means to whoever, um, is that I have really cool friends who do really cool things. Um, you know, we're in the stages now where our friends are not just doing what they're told, but sometimes they're doing what they're not told. And some, and a lot of people are making things up. And um, I heard through social media, through a public announcement that I think it was three of my close friends in a particular space that I kind of want to be more involved in, but like not really, really when it comes down to the way I spend my time in career development spaces. Um, that they had done a project together and that it was one of the first of their kind. And I saw it and I was like, oh my gosh. And I didn't think I'm so happy for them first and then get jealous. I got jealous first. I was like, I want that. <laughs> I want that. I wish that had been my idea. I wish that I had done it. I, it was just all jealousy all the time. <laughs> it was so immediate and embarrassing, but also close on the heels came happiness. And But I, I guess the point, so what to do with jealousy? For me, what I did with that particular case of jealousy is um, I don't actually want to do what they did. Like when I mm-hmm. get down to it, I want to have great ideas that get implemented, but I I'm not actually jealous that they did that exact thing. Cause again, when I go back to my career goals, that's not in it. It's not but mm-hmm. I, it's hard when I love my friends so much and they do such cool things. I get so caught up in their success and I'm like, Oh, success. I want that. And so I think when I feel jealousy, what I do with it is I try to <laughs> not look away from it, but I try to kind of logic my way next to it to yeah. say, what am I actually jealous of? And then what do I do about it? And most of the time I'm like, oh, I turn on the happiness because what I'm doing is motivating myself to do something that I think is great, but is not the same. And there's room for all of us. Yeah. So I will just pause and say Virginia spent several months in Antarctica earlier this year. <laughs> so speaking of jealousy and cool <laughs> friends, I mean... We, I don't think we need to worry about her. She's doing great. <laughs> we can all celebrate that and maybe wish that we were going. And then I'm going to say in a similar vein, I noticed recently that one of the things that I can get jealous of is people's titles and the clout that I perceive comes with the title and P.S. following on heels of previous episodes. Also, their salaries. But what I recognize is that sometimes I want to apply for a job like that just so that I can have what I think is the clout and definitely the salary. And in zero ways is that going to serve me working towards my career and life goals, just as Virginia's talking about. And then I think there's, for me, another layer. I'm not sure jealous is quite the right word. I'm going to just say this. We've just said some things this season. I resent 
When people and entities get big funding or big contracts, which mean big money, when it doesn't seem like the work actually amounts to anything in the end. That bugs me. Ooh, it bugs me too. And we talk about it. (laughs) Yes. And I'm not perfectly sure what to do about that part. I mean, obviously we can build good programs and do really good things. But when we run into a landscape of funding and in SciComm that is frankly imploding right now, basically every big organization we know of that used to put money into this is either quietly or really publicly saying they're not, then I don't actually know what to do because my take is we're doing and building big, great things except we can't get them funded. And if we had a title or a name with some clout, maybe we'd get them. Or maybe we just should have had these ideas 10 years ago when everybody was shoveling money into SciComm. I don't really know. So jealous, I can work through jealous because I remember my own goals. Resent, a little harder to work through. I hear you. And I think part of that resentment is not just the funding is gone. I think it'd be easier to blame some, just like the way the world is if the funding was gone. But when you were talking about not being able to get big, big projects funded and wishing we had the cloud, I think it's because we'll run into organizations that say we're not soliciting funding proposals or we are not offering funding at this time for this, that, and the other. And what they mean is we are quietly talking to our friends that we already know and offering them opportunities, but we are not soliciting any opportunities for people that we don't know or are not currently involved with. So it can feel like almost a carousel. Oh, yeah, we'll just say some things we feel today. <laughs> I should I should not have said that. Oh my god. No, you should have said it because it's exactly what's happening. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, let's move on to the next question. Look at that. We're running low on time. What's your <laughs> what's your best <laughs> advice for people pitching SciCom projects today? And I want to make sure we're clear. This question is not applying to SciCom jobs, it's pitching SciCom projects. So probably these big funding proposals or like the pitches where there's not necessarily an opportunity already available and you submit an application to, but you're trying to create something new where there might not be anything right now. Best advice for pitching SciCom projects within like 30 seconds to a minute and Bethann, go. So my take on this is let's assume there's a funding stream, but you have to convince them that your big project idea is the thing they would fund in this funding stream. That will be my frame for my advice. This is not necessarily going to be all the advice that's going to carry you through to hitting submit. But one thing that I see a lot of proposals and kind of program frameworks fail to do is make the problem super obvious. The people who read your document in the first paragraph or max two paragraphs have got to be completely convinced there's a real problem that you have identified that relates to their funding stream. And then you've got to make it completely inevitable. And I would also say within the first page that your solution is the solution they want to fund. Like they've got to believe that what you're pitching can actually address the problem. And then you are the obvious person to do or run it. All of that work has to get done incredibly fast because these are people who are reading these things late at night over wine while watching Queer Eye. Like they're not paying attention to you. They don't even know what you're talking about. If you drown them in vocabulary from your subfield, they're gone. The money's gone, the opportunity's gone. So we have to basically use our SciComm core, calibrate for our audience and convince them, oh crap, Oh, what a good idea. 
yeah, obviously they would do it. That is exactly the framework that I've been reading a lot about as I've been building this startup uh, with my other business partner. And so, yes. And then it hits at what I was going to say, which is keep it short. Everybody's so busy. Mm -hmm. Attention spans are so short that even if you give someone a two to three sentence pitch, there's room there for you to hook them and draw them in. And then they have room to ask you a question. And then if you keep it so short that they can ask you a question, that gives you what their values are and what their perspective on the problem is. It tells you what is going to interest them to keep them talking to you. So you're giving room. You don't have to even guess at what their values are and how you can meet them where they are. You let them tell you. That's all the time we have. Oh gosh, that's all the time we have time for, Bethann. This means we're done for the year. I know, but I, every year you have to convince me to do another podcast season and maybe next year I'm, I may have already written you an email about ideas for the next season. So I will be back. So over to you listeners, because you are not done. Tell us what's one change that you plan to make in your SciComm career in 2024. You've been listening all season to Meteor, the honest podcast about science communication with impact. To join our increasingly honest conversations about SciComm, tell us what you're actually going to change up in 2024. You can do that on social media, or you can submit a note on our website, MeteorSciComm.org. Talk soon. Thank you.